Mark chapter 6. And we're going to begin in verse, about verse 45, so if you want to just go ahead and get to that spot. Um, one of the things, I will share this, one of the things about uh, overseas missions is that it will open your heart and your mind to things that you weren't really ready for. I mean, you'll see things in a different frame of reference. It's like a paradigm shift almost because... We, you know, all of us experience those times when it's a new reality, where it's, we see something we've never seen before, we have to deal with something we've never done before, and, and we, can, we kind of adjust to that. It's like when I went from my dumb phone to a smartphone, you know, you just have to deal with it as you go, and you, okay, it's new and different, but it's still the same as it was. There are things about foreign missions that you'll, it, for instance, we were uh, coming back from the nation of Zambia, riding on the bus, and I was about, I was in the first row back. And our, our mission leader who lives in Malawi stopped the bus. And he gets off and he goes over to this little side of the street vendor. They had all kinds of tomatoes and all this stuff all over the place. And he goes out there and, and he gets um, a, a snack for the road. And he comes back on the bus and he's got this half full bag of what looks to be maybe raisins or, or, or nuts or something like that. I could do, go for some raisins right now. That'd be pretty neat because that's something that's been dried. It's not going to have any bugs or who knows what all on it. So he brings it back on the bus. And he hands the bag to me to see if I want some. And I, he's reached in there, and he's popping them in his mouth. I'm thinking, well, they're obviously delicious. He's liking them. And so I take the bag and look down in the bag. It's termites. A half-full Walmart sack of termites. Now, they're dead. They're dried. And looking at him eating them, they're delicious. But, you know, there's just some things in the world that don't qualify as food. That's a totally different mindset. That's a paradigm shift to think, you're eating bugs, dude. And he's smiling about it. Yeah, man, try them. You ought to try them. Some things, you know, I'm just not ready to go there, all right? And that kind of paradigm shift, it's, it's, a, it's a, a shift to consider things differently. And there's just some things that I'm not going to think of as food, all right? I'm just not there. I'm not ready to make that curve. And... The disciples, as we're going to see today, they had situations in their life, and particularly today, we're going to see a situation in, in the lives of the apostles where <clears throat> they're going to have that kind of paradigm shift to have to make, a decision to change the way they view things, and it's going to utterly and totally change their lives for the rest of the ministry that they, they lived there with Jesus. So uh, as, we, as we rejoin Jesus and the disciples in Mark chapter 6, verses 45, we're going to experience with them one of these moments of shock. So read with me in verse 45 and following. We'll stop before we get to the end, but 45. And immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he himself was sending the multitude away. And after bidding them farewell, he departed to the mountain to pray. And when it was evening, the boat was in the midst of the sea, and he was alone on the land. And seeing them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them, at about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea, and he intended to pass them by. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed that it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were frightened, but immediately he spoke to them and said to them, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Heavenly Father, I pray as we get into your word today that you would reveal to us who you are in a way and in a strength and in a depth that maybe we've never seen before. Father, I know that this message is for every person that is here, and for those that are going to hear it later, I pray for them as well, that the ideas of your word would spring upon our conscious understanding and change us forever. 
Father, I know we all came in here a certain way. I pray we would leave differently, having met you in a more precious and intimate way. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. <clears throat> you know, many times God's leading and God's directing in our lives, God's revelation of himself a lot of times are just going to require us to be available for the unexpected, and I'm going to call it this a lot, paradigm shift, where my frame of reference is going to have to change. I've been looking at things this way, but now I'm going to have to look at them this way. It's almost like you're, you're looking at a building from one side and you go around the corner and now you see, oh, it's a totally different, you thought it was one thing, but it's something else. It's a paradigm shift. The frame of reference has to absolutely change. Sometimes God does that in our lives. And when he does, it's a challenge sometimes to go around that corner and see things differently than we did before. And yet God puts those moments in our life as we go following him where we should be willing to go around that corner and, and just, okay, I'm never going to be the same. Now we resist that, our flesh particularly resists that, because we want to keep things the way they are. We want things to be kind of comfortable in the way we've understood them. But you know, it's interesting, in the life of Jesus, as you read through the New Testament, and you've already dis dis uh, encountered it a couple of times in our reading for this year, people were constantly saying about the ministry of Jesus, we never saw anything like this before. They were constantly saying about the teaching of Jesus, we never heard anybody talk like it. Even, even his enemies came back and reported, the, 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 the temple guard came back and reported to the Pharisees, no man ever spake like this man. And so Jesus had a way of doing that, and, and most of the people were glad to receive that. I mean, the people all through the New Testament, as we read the life of Jesus, the people of the land were very happy to experience the ministry of the Master. They were thankful for his authority, especially when they needed a demon driven out. They were believing in God's power through him, as if he were a, a great prophet arisen, as in the Old Testament days. They were trusting in his mercy as they brought his, the sick people, and, and, and as they listened to him, they would be transfixed, by his wisdom. It was, a, it was a, a ministry that everybody was enjoying, and they were willing to take advantage of his goodness as long as he was willing to give it. But that was pretty much where it stopped. It was as if they were seeing the building from this point, and now it's, can you, can you think of him in a new way? Can you go around that corner and get the paradigm shift? Is there something more and greater to this, this man named Jesus? So we find Jesus, and that's what we're going to explore today. We find Jesus and his men at the close of another exhausting day of ministry. If you remember what happened just in the last section that we studied here, they had just fed the 5,000. And before that, they'd spent the whole day listening to Jesus teach and, and, and heal, and, and they had gotten out of the boat early that morning hoping to get some, some rest, and, and instead the people had gone around the lake and found them. And, and so it's been another exhausting day of ministry, and that's where we begin this story is at the end of that day of ministry. And Jesus, it says there in verse 45, immediately... This is another one of those places in Mark where it's, the, and suddenly, it's like, okay, next thing happened. Well, immediately, Jesus said, new plan, guys, go. Get into the boat and leave. The only way that the people were going to leave is if Jesus and his disciples were not camping there. Because if they were going to stay, the people probably would have stayed. And so he said, guys, you go ahead and go. I'll meet you later. I don't know what the conversation might have been. It doesn't have it recorded here in Scripture. But, you know, y'all go to this town. I'll meet you there. And so they get into the boat, and they, 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 they can't sail away because now the complex weather patterns of that area, the, the water is now warmer than the air, so the water is blowing air away from the water, and so they would have been going directly into that current or that wind, and so they had to row away as Jesus dismissed the crowd. And so we see that in, in, in verse 45 and 46, after bidding them farewell, he departed to the mountain to pray. So he sends the multitude away. 
And he had to, notice, send them away. Remember, they all had come to see him. They'd gone all the way around the lake just to be there with him. He, he had to tell them what I tell folks sometimes. Y'all don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Go! He had to actually send them away because he needed to be in, in intimate time with his father. And so he sends his men away, he sends the people away, and he climbs the mountain to pray. And he <clears throat> says there, this was at the, that dusk, as it was evening in verse 47. When it was evening, the boat was in the midst of the sea. He was alone on the land. He had this time alone with the Father. He went up on that mountain and prayed. And the Bible tells us he didn't do anything else until the fourth hour, or the, excuse me, the fourth watch of the night. The fourth watch of the night is between 3 and 6 a.m. So he goes up on the mountain to pray for about 9 o'clock, let's say at dark, whenever it got dark over there, different times of the year, of course, it's like it's here. It gets dark at different times. But let's just pretend and say it was 9 o'clock in the evening. He goes up on the mountain to pray. The people are leaving. The boat's rowing away. He's up in the mountain praying. He prays until 3 o'clock in the morning, at least till the fourth watch of the night. Now, I, I, I don't have a degree in mathematics, but that's six hours. That's from nine to, this just my guess, about six hours of prayer. He spent six hours in prayer to the Father, or more, because it might have been later, later than that even. But somebody might look at that and say, wow, what do you pray about for six hours? Well, Jesus and his Father had a lot in common. It wasn't hard for them to find six hours worth of things to talk about. Jesus went up onto the mountain to, to, to mourn John the Baptist. He went up on the mountain to minister or to have the Father minister to him in different ways. But he spent six hours with the Father because he and the Father had a lot in common. And people look at that and say, well, that's just Jesus. No, that's Jesus having a lot in common with the Father. Because if you have that much in common with somebody, you're going to be willing and happy to spend time with them. Darren and I have a lot in common with science. We start talking science, it's not hard to spend six hours talking to Darren or listening to Darren, <clears throat> moving right along. <laughs> Same thing, somebody like fishing, these Jeff, Jeff and Jay, or Jay, Jeff and uh, Kip get together and talk fishing. Not hard for them to get six hours go by real quick when you're talking about, somebody's a NASCAR fan, you get a talking to them. They, it's not hard to pass six hours. Jesus went to his father and spent six or seven hours in prayer because he had so much in common with his father, which, by the way, might explain why so many Christians in 2019 can't seem to pray for more than just a few moments. It's because they don't have much in common with the father. We spend so much time on our own things and so much time dealing with our own issues and our own wants and our own desires, and then it's like, oh, and, and by the way, God, I need you to bless all this that I'm doing. Amen. Well, I can tell you, Jesus came down from this prayer time refreshed. Jesus came back from this prayer time restored. Jesus came back with, from this prayer time ready to walk the 10 or 12 miles around where he'd sent the boy, the, the men, his men. And so he came down really refreshed and ready to go. We find Jesus here modeling prayer for us. And it's not even a, a passage that teaches about prayer, but it's, it's modeling prayer. Jesus prayed before the great days of ministry. Jesus prayed after the great days of ministry. Jesus prayed during the days of ministry. If you would have more of God's wisdom, pray more. If you would have more of God's power, pray more. If you would have more of God's guidance, spend more time in prayer. If you'd have more of God's tangible presence in your life, it's time to start developing an intimate time with the Father. And you know what? Eventually, not very long down the road, you start to have a lot more in common with the Father, and that time you spend will be all the easier. And you'll come back refreshed and strengthened and better than you were when you began. 
So that's all secondary. As I said, it's not what the passage is teaching, but Jesus models prayer. We might as well follow that as, as everything else that he modeled. So moving right along, night had fallen. And the, as I said, the complex wind patterns have changed to where than that. It's kicking up a pretty good lake effect, waves and choppy. They're having to row across this lake, and they're having to work hard. The wind is blowing exactly against them, and there would have been a pretty good swell, pretty good-sized lake. And, and from dusk until 3, Jesus is up on the mountain praying. They're out in the water rowing. Steering by the stars, maybe it was a bright, bright moonlit night, maybe, but maybe they were steering by the flickering torches of some of the villages that still would have been visible over across the water. But regardless, they're toiling in the dark. How many of you ever had to row a boat? Anybody? Anybody actually had to row? Now, double and triple and quadruple the size of that boat, big enough to where 13 men and a fishing gear could be on it, and that's the boat they're rowing. Good-sized ship. They're not just in a little dinghy, you know, it's here we go. And they're rowing. Maybe they were switching off. I don't know how they did it exactly. But they're straining at the oars, and they're making some pretty good process, progress, that is. And, and as I said, it's interesting. The six hours Jesus spent wrestling in prayer, they spent wrestling with the waves and the water. The six hours that Jesus spent laboring with his father, they spent laboring in rowing the boat. And both of them can be genuine work. If you've ever spent some real time in prayer, I can tell you, and you know, that it's... it's it, it's, it's actually work. The thing is, the work that people do, working hard to make that progress, that'll wear you out. You spend that time, same kind of time in prayer, it'll charge you up. And you'll be ready to go do what God called you to do. And I believe that if we'd spend a little less time laboring our way and hoping God will bless it, instead starting with the labor of prayer and then letting God lead us, we'll find a way to do things that, well, it'll be supernatural results instead of just what human effort can bring. So, Again, moving on. Jesus finished praying. Now he has the chore of catching up to his men. They're out in the water. They're, they've rowed for six hours. How far can you row in six hours against the wind? I don't know, but they were experienced guys. They might have been six, eight, ten miles across the lake. Okay, <clears throat> he has the chore now of catching up. What are his options? Well, he could skirt the top of the lake. I showed you on the screen last week where, this, where they kind of run one side there. The place they're going is around again, past Capernaum, on further down, maybe 10 or 12 miles around the lake. So he could walk that. He could rent a boat, borrow a boat. He could rent a donkey, borrow a donkey. But you know, the shortest distance between any two points is a straight line. And so what did he do? Well, it doesn't say immediately. Think about this. Here's the guys out there straining at the oars. They're going a straight line, but they're having to do it with the boat. They're working hard taking turns, toiling with the slow progress. Jesus has chosen his thing, <clears throat> and here they are. They're out there. They're rowing. They're doing their best. They're rowing. And somebody, maybe it was the guy with the sharpest eyes, maybe the youngest eyes. I don't know exactly who it was. Somebody that wasn't busy with the rowing is watching out there in the waves, and way out there behind them, they start to notice a little bit of movement. Huh. Can't be. I wonder what... That is the weirdest thing I've ever seen. That looks, for all the world, it can't be. That's, there's, it looks like, I wonder what that is. It's getting closer, whatever it is. It's the figure of a man, but it's on top of the water. And I've lived on this lake all my life. That doesn't happen. And that's, all of a sudden, somebody else notices it. Look! Yeah. <laughs> 
a figure of a man on top of the water. I mean, that doesn't happen, y'all. And by now, they're all kind of getting excited. Somebody, when the, when the look came up, it was all, and the, the, the boat stopped moving. I mean, they got so excited, they dropped their oars. And they're looking across the water. And one of them, maybe the youngest, maybe the most superstitious, I don't know, they cry out, it's a ghost! Now, before you get all 21st century, well, that was such a, why would you think that? What else could it be? I mean, go back to normal. What happens, as a rule at least, people do not walk on the water. So what's left? Because we, I mean, we get our 21st century fingers and we point at these superstitious backward bumpkins. Let us recall also that not everything supernatural is of God. And so there are some things that could worry you, that could be a problem with, for these people. And yes, uh, like I say, nothing doesn't have to be from God to be supernatural because the devil has his lying wonders. And men have their fakery. So we need to make sure it's of God. But here they are, and these guys had seen some things. You know, like the, the Allstate commercial, we, we, we know a few things because we've seen a few things. They had seen a few things. They had seen deliverance from demons where the demons would go out screaming. They had seen healing from dread diseases because people had been leprous one moment and clean the next. They had seen miraculous fe- They had seen Jairus' daughter come up from the dead. They had seen some things. But this reality, this paradigm shift was even too much for them. It was so far outside of their imagination, they just couldn't begin to put two and two together because by now the whole boat has erupted in panic. Full-scale what is that? It's getting closer. I wonder how many times Jesus had to call to them before they heard him. You know, shalom, y'all. Hey, sh- I said shalom because it says it. I love the way it says it. Jesus is walking along on the water. They're over here having a panic attack. And he just says, shalom, y'all. I'll see you when you get to the land. Because it says he was going to pass them by, does it not? He didn't need the boat. He was proving it. They're freaking out. I mean, in the vernacular of the 21st century, they're having a freak-out attack, okay? And he's walking by, and he has to tell them, calm down, men, it's me. Now, in the actual words of Scripture there in the red, it says, Jesus said to them, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. And hey, let me tell you something, just as an extra. The Scripture, 365 times, Somehow, whether it says, fear not, do not be afraid, be of good courage, 365 times the Scripture says, don't be afraid. One for every day of the year. Because it doesn't really make you, uh, how can I say this? Even the most experienced and, 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 and strong Christian at times, this world and its circumstances can cause us to be afraid. I mean... Our physical frailties can cause us to panic when we first hear, hear about it, something that's going to happen or something we're going to have to have done or, or this or that. And, and by the way, the enemy can attack. And in that moment of the attack, we can begin to give in to worry and yield to fear because this is, this is different. I mean, this is outside. This is, Jesus has done something supernatural, so unusual, so unexpected that even his closest friends were shocked. Even his closest associates who had seen some things, they were bewildered, and they had stopped the boat. Sometimes God moves in ways that we don't understand. Sometimes God moves in ways that we can't explain. And sometimes he does things that we're not expecting, and we just we can't really put two and two together. 
And so even faithful followers can fall into fear and panic. And Jesus says, take courage. And I want to tell you this morning that when those circumstances come and those things happen and you feel like, wow, I wasn't expecting this. How do I deal with this? Take courage. He's near. Take courage. He is still in charge. Those waters that we think of, that's over my head, that can kill me. Those waters that are over your head, they're underneath His feet. And don't be afraid. Don't be uh, in the the panic mode because God has it all under control. Well, instead of passing them by, He stops and gets in the boat. Jesus got into the boat that He didn't need in order to be with His men. Just like He does with us. I mean, He got into the boat for their sake. He didn't need the boat. It wasn't for His sake. He got into their boat for their sake, just like He came into this earth. Not because He needed to, but He came into this earth for our sake. To be with His people. To share the burden with us. To be one of us. Not for His own sake, but to be with His people. And to make it possible for us to have that new and living way opened up so that sinful man can have their sin forgiven and be given the righteousness of God as a gift so that we can be in communion with Almighty Holy God, the Creator God, Yahweh, Jehovah. El Shaddai sent Jesus to come back to Him. But this go-round, even for these guys, the shock of one minute I'm thinking of the world this way, and now I've got to deal with a world that looks this way. That paradigm shift is too much, even for these guys. Look at, uh, let's, let's go on a little further than what we read. Verse 40, 51. <clears throat> and he got into the boat with them, and the wind stopped, and they were greatly astonished, for they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their heart was hardened. It says there they were astonished. Now, I don't know if we don't use that word an awful lot these days, but just try to imagine that you open your wallet and you've got money in there you didn't think you have. Look at that! That's astonishment, okay? Or let's say you go to your house and you walk into a house you've lived in for 10 years and there's a door that you've never seen before. Huh. Am I in the right house? That's astonishment. That's what this is talking about. So different, it's like, that's a head-scratcher. And they were unable to gain insight. I love it the way it says that. They didn't gain any insight from the incident with the loaves. You know, if I see somebody who can take five loaves and two fish and feed a crowd of maybe 20,000 people, you might be able to follow the dots and figure out this is not just your average everyday prophet. But they were still thinking in terms of Old Testament prophets that God was moving. It's wonderful. This man, he he can do some amazing things. They'd seen the supernatural events. They'd seen the feeding. But they still couldn't connect those dots. And so it says there at the end of verse 52, their heart was hardened. Now this is not talking about the same judicial hardening that we know that God will put Israel through so that the Gentiles could be added and grafted in later on. That's not that kind of hardening. In fact, this is a kind of a poor translation of that word. It should be translated, their mind was closed, or they were, their, their minds were dull, or they just were insensible. In other words, they were looking at it this way, and they got over here, and they tried to look at it this way. I ain't getting it. Gary, it's kind of how when I give somebody the wrong mail, they say, I don't get it. They didn't get it. I'm looking at it. I see it in front of me. I, just, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know how... Matthew, when he records this over in Matthew chapter 14, he actually has some of them saying, when Jesus gets into the boat and the wind dies down, they are looking at him saying, you're the Son of God. And when Mark records it, it's like, they're, they're astonished. They don't know how to deal with it. They don't know what to think. They, uh, which is it? 
Were they unable to deal with it, or did they? I think the answer is yes. Did they get it? Yeah, maybe a little bit. I mean, but you're the son of God. Did they get it? Yeah, maybe a little bit. But see, the problem is people do not walk on the water. But God has the power to do it. Because the challenge here was to go from this is a great man, this is a great teacher, this is a great prophet from God, to turn that corner and see, no, no, this is God here. This is God. Jesus is God. The guy that we had dinner with last night is God. That's a big step. That's a big step. Then and now, though, listen, God has the power to supersede our limitations. Then and now, God has the power to overcome our inability. Then and now, God has the power to empower our obedience. And the people down here, when they arrived, I'm going to read the rest of this chapter here in verse 53. When they got to Gennesaret, these, they were happy when Jesus and his men got out of the boat. All of them were happy. Uh, mankind today is happy to receive from God. It says, and when they crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they had come out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him and ran about the whole country and began to carry about on their pallets those who were sick to the place they heard he was. And wherever he entered villages or cities or countryside, they were laying the sick in the marketplaces and entreating him that he, they might just touch the fringe of his cloak and as many as touched it were being cured. Now this is kind of telescoping on maybe a two or three or even a month's long period, two or three weeks or a month period of time into those few verses there because it says they were going around, he was going around doing several things. But the people of Gennesaret, the men in the boat, and all of mankind today are quick to accept the miracles of God. I mean, if God's going to do a miracle for me, I'm ready to take it. God, I need time to be fine. People today, those men in the boat, the folks at Gennesaret, they were going to rejoice in his deliverances because when God delivers you from something, it'll put a joy in your heart and a song in your mouth. They were very happy to receive his mercy. But were they ready to receive him as more? Were they ready to break over that space and say, he's not just a great man. I came today because I want you to know I believe in the wave walker. I believe in the one who can leave footprints on the lake. That doesn't happen. God can do it. And I want you to believe in the wave walker. Because I believe from this passage and many others as we're going to continue to see, God sets before each one of us a choice. He sets before us that question, what will you do with Jesus? How will you respond? How will we respond to him? Do we accept him as a great teacher? Oh, yes, he was a great leader. He was a good moral man. We, we were so happy, and we base our calendar on him. He has to be something special. We can see him as that. Or do we accept and believe him as the one who could leave footprints on the water? You see, the question is, do we see him as a man or do we see him as God? Do we see him as a, as a great teacher or as the Savior who can lead us and give us, you know, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, as he said. What do we do with Jesus? I believe in the wave walker. I believe in the God who came down to be a man, to be the God-man who chose to die for sin in our place. And by the way, Scripture does not give you the ability. Scripture doesn't give you the luxury of trying to say, oh, no, he was a great man. Because Jesus made some amazing statements. He said, I am the way, 
the truth and the life. They confronted him one day and said, tell us, are you the Christ, the Son of God? He says, I am. Now, if he is a great man and a good man and a great prophet, a prophet tells you the truth from God. And if Jesus didn't tell the truth, that made him a liar. So Jesus is either liar or he's Lord. And we're all confronted with that moment where am I going to accept him as a great teacher and a good man or, or is he the wave walker? Is he God on earth? And don't get caught up with that nonsense about he was 50% God and 50% man and he was this walking along. He was 100% God and 100% man and 100% Savior and 100% Lord. He either is the wave walker, God on earth, or he's not. And the the confrontation comes this way. As many as receive him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. You see, he wants you to receive him as who he is. God on earth who came to die in your place, to die in my place, to go to that cross, the scripture says, that he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He wants us to receive that gift of righteousness. Why? So we can be saved. So we can have a new life in Him. As Jesus says, I'm going to use this verse all year long, so I hope you all don't mind. But Jesus said it this way. He who hears my word and believes Him who sent me has eternal life. And is not condemned. He's passed over from death to life. And when we confess Him with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. And whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So really, the question I come with you, come to you with this morning, and I know on, on a day like this, I'm talking to the folks that are saved. I'm talking to folks that are born again. If you're not, you need to be, and you can be today. But I'm talking mostly, I believe probably all of us have had that moment of salvation. And so I want to ask you this question. <clears throat> if Jesus comes to you and says, I want you to go to college and be a lawyer and serve Jesus in the legal, in the legal profession. Is it going to matter whether you see him as great teacher, good moral leader, or the wave walker? Because you see, somebody who can walk on the water can give you the strength to go all the way through law school and become that lawyer who can serve Jesus in the legal profession. And I know legal profession and Christian, don't generally, you don't think of those two in the same sentence. But God can do that. The one who can walk on the water can call you up right out of the middle of nowhere and say, hey, I want you to be a, a music minister for me. And I want to put you in ministry, leading people in worship and taking people by the hand and leading them right into the middle of the presence of God. I'm going to let you do that. Is it going to make a difference if you see him as a great man or as the wave walker? Because see, the wave walker can take you by the hand and take you right in there and, and make you able to do it. Isn't that right, Kelton? i got to tell you, the first time I stood up in front of folks to preach... I was scared. I mean, I dropped my oars and stopped. But Jesus took me by the hand. And, and, and the next moment, he was using me in a supernatural way. He can do the same thing for you, whatever he's calling you to do. It doesn't have to be ministry. That's why I started with lawyering. That's why you can start with truck driving or dentistry, although dentistry just barely makes it. <clears throat> I love dentists. I'm glad we have them. But can you imagine spending every day of your life staring into somebody else's mouth, moving right along? 
God, God can bring you the strength and the ability, though, to do supernatural things. Only God. But when you allow Him to be, take that paradigm shift, break around that corner. What is God calling me to do? That's big, God. That's, that's more than I can handle. You're right. It's more than you can handle, but you and God together can do it. And I want to encourage you. Believe in, trust in, place your faith and trust in the one who can walk on the water, and you can do great things for God. And we don't have an excuse. Let's pray. Mm-hmm.